Hello, I am Joshua P. Warren, and this is Joshua P. Warren Daily. And I am here in Las Vegas, Nevada, where it is snowing right now. As I speak, big, fluffy flakes falling. It looks like Christmas Eve out here. And I know a lot of you may be thinking, what's the big deal? Well, apparently this has not happened here in this desert in years. Now, granted, Las Vegas is a valley, and it's surrounded by extremely tall mountains. Some are 10, 11,000 feet tall. And so, yeah, you know, you can look out the window and see snow-capped mountains all around. People go skiing in them. Mount Charleston is a big area for that. So, yes, there there is snow up, up in the mounts, but here in the valley, I mean... Uh, you know, we just don't get a lot of precipitation in general. And so it's pretty wild that uh, you turn on the news and everybody's freaking out and people are, you know, giddy and kids are out there building giant snowmen because some of these areas have several inches of snow. Uh, there's a lot of diversity in the geography around uh, the Vegas area. And uh, so some places got several inches of snow, but uh, here where I am, the snow's coming down pretty well, but it's not laying. I mean, in the the area where I am, um, the temperature, you know, it's, it gets below freezing, but it, it, it stays pretty close to around 32. So it's still not that bad. It's still a very mild and pleasant way to spend the winter months. Uh, not quite like being in Puerto Rico, where it's summertime year-round. But uh, it certainly has been worthwhile for me to be here in the Vegas area, given all the projects that I've been working on. But, uh, you know, I haven't given you a podcast in a few days because Lauren and I decided to take a, a little vacation, a little road trip to celebrate our wedding anniversary, which is, well, which was February the 17th. And we decided to keep it very simple, and I didn't tell you where we were going to go. Uh, I said I would when we got back, so here you here you have it. Uh, we drove about 90 minutes south of Las Vegas to the town of Laughlin, Nevada. Now, I went to Laughlin 10 years ago. I'm going to tell you more about that in a second, but Lauren had never been there. And I want to tell you a bit about the history of Laughlin and why it's uh, such an odd and uh, an intriguing place. There was a guy named Don Laughlin who was a young sort of Vegas wheeler and dealer back in the, the 50s and 60s. And he was looking for other places to develop. And so he was sort of flying around and he went down to this area south of Vegas right there on the Colorado River and he saw some tourism potential and there was only one crappy little rundown motel there that was practically abandoned and so and that was it and so this fella Don Laughlin he bought that little motel he renovated it and uh, it had eight rooms and he had 12 slot machines and two table games and after he renovated it he only had four rooms to rent out because uh, he and his family were living in the other four rooms this was about 1964 Uh, but he started attracting people 
by ensuring he had really good food. He offered them all-you-can-eat chicken dinners for 98 cents. And people started coming from all around because this is right on the Colorado River. If you cross the river, you're in Arizona. You're in Bullhead City, Arizona. And it's kind of interesting because when you visit Laughlin, you have to be very mindful of time if that's important to you because I found that when I was down there uh, my cell phone would get confused one minute it would say it was 145 and then I'd look at it and it'd say oh it's 245 and then you'd walk 10 feet and it would bounce back to 145 <laughs> so, so you're, you're, if you're relying on your cell phone to give you the time it's it's switching back and forth because you're right there on the edge of uh, of the time zone and Lauren and I of course were joking about it being uh, time travel you know you're, you're on one side of the bridge it's two o'clock. You cross the bridge. It's three o'clock. You know that—that's literally how it works there. You lose an hour or you gain an hour, depending on which way you're going. The Colorado River there is absolutely beautiful. It's the most beautiful river I've ever seen. I am telling you, it is crystal clear. And when I say crystal clear, I am not exaggerating. I've never seen a river like this in my life. Lauren has never seen a river like this. And Lauren has seen the Colorado in other places and said it was kind of murky. But here, it's not. Here in Laughlin, I'm telling you, it is crystal clear. And when the sun is shining brightly on it and you just look out a window and you you peer down on it, it also has that uh, beautiful turquoise sort of... um, sheen like water in the Caribbean it's amazing so when you're there you know you can look down and and see all these big fish uh you know trout and bass and things swimming around but there's just not much growth I guess on the bottom it's very sandy there you have even a beach there at one of the hotels and it's the most beautiful river you'll ever find Um, but what's also kind of interesting is even in the summertime when it's 120 degrees that river is always 55 degrees year-round doesn't matter so people don't really swim in it too much but uh, they do get out and fish it I saw some fishermen the other day so it's a beautiful scenic spot and Don Laughlin was such an ambitious guy with such a vision that he continued developing and expanding it and now it is a, a huge tourist attraction it's like a mini Las Vegas there are about nine or ten big casinos down there. There's over 10,000 rooms, 14,000 employees. When you're driving down the road in Laughlin, you see big flashy lights everywhere, just like you're in Vegas. And um, But it's nice because you have that feng shui, you know, of the river flowing past everything. So it's just a really beautiful, peaceful, like low-key area. And uh, the the casino that is now like well the the very first major casino that Don Laughlin created I think it's called the River's Edge it's still there and on top of it you can look up and see this big penthouse and that is where to this day Don Laughlin lives he's 87 years old he has a helicopter he was originally from Minnesota I think uh, and, and or either I think, yeah, I think it was Minnesota and so they say that sometimes he'll fly his helicopter all the way to Minnesota and back but uh, 87 years old this man is, and I mean, I, now you're you're looking at uh, an astonishing achievement. Uh, can you imagine over the course of 40, 50 years? Because when I was there 10 years ago, that's when I was there last. It didn't look that dramatically different than it does now. 
um, in, the, in, in the course of just a, a few decades, you know, uh, taking just one little dinky spot on the river and transforming it into this major city. I mean, talk about a manifester. I mean, and so when you're there, that town is a, it is a living, breathing manifestation of one man's vision, the vision of Don Laughlin. And in fact, I went into some of the businesses there and talked to people who who knew him personally. And I said, um, and people who'd worked for him uh, on in a very close way. And I've said, uh, how would you like describe the influence that he has on this town? Is this still like really his town, or uh, is it just his namesake? And and they were like, oh no no it's still Don Laughlin's town. If he points his finger at something and says, it's going to be here, then it will be there. And I thought, wow. Now that tells you something about manifestation, doesn't it? Points his finger at something, like a wand. Literally, he sees something, and he can make it be the way he wants it to be. 87 years old, and still active, running around the town that he created, Laughlin, Nevada. It's amazing. It's amazing. And so... um Anyway, uh, we decided to go down there because it would be a simple trip and a relaxing trip, and and Lauren had never been there. Now, I will tell you that when you're down there, about 90% of the people you see have gray, silver, white hair. It is definitely... Uh, I think it's like the uh, the senior citizens Las Vegas because Lauren and I felt like we were usually the youngest people around other than the... Um, the employees and you know Lauren and I are in our 40s so it's definitely a slower more relaxed pace down there but we not only wanted to go down there to have you know a few days like that where I could get away from the technology and we could just sort of like chill out and have fun and and de-stress and decompress and all that but now listen to this when I was there 10 years ago that is when I had my most amazing UFO sighting. You've heard me talk about this before on this podcast, but let me go ahead and remind you. You've heard me talk about seeing this huge, I mean gigantic, V-shaped UFO through third generation night vision goggles flying over the desert near Laughlin, Nevada. I have even posted illustrations of this and other information. And do you know, it turns out, that that sighting occurred on the night of February 23rd, 2009, between 9 and 10 p.m. Pacific Time, at a pull-off off Davis Dam Road outside Laughlin, Nevada. And that you can get to that pull-off from Laughlin in probably like six minutes or something like that. And I realized, holy shit, this is exactly, like almost exactly ten years later. Because as I, as I talk to you right now, it's February the 21st of 2019. And I had the sighting on February 23rd of 2009. So almost exactly 10 years to the day. So I said to Lauren, we got to go out there one night and bring my third generation night vision goggles to see if we can spot this thing. 
again. I mean, how amazing and unlikely would that be? But wow, but we have to try. And this time, I have a camera hooked up to it. Because that night, 10, ten years ago, was the first time I ever had an opportunity to look at the sky through third-generation night vision goggles, period. And that's because um, that, that was you know the first time I'd ever been to Laughlin. I was invited 10 years ago to be a speaker at the International UFO Congress. And uh, that was my first invitation there. At that time, it was owned by a different group of people than the current owners. The current owners um, have continued the event in Scottsdale, Arizona. And I've also been a speaker there as well. But the first time I spoke was in Laughlin. And uh, it was there at the Aquarius Hotel Casino. And I have so many wonderful memories from that trip. Uh, Forrest Connor flew out, and that was when we drove to the Grand Canyon, and Forrest almost got gored to death by an elk because he was out there showing his ass. I was in the background just saying, look, I'm going to film this and put this on when animals attack. Um, and Jim Mars was there. You know, Jim was such a great friend. Jim is no longer with us. And uh, there was this one bar that I remember going to with Jim that was across the street from the casino. I think it was called the Muddy Rudder. And uh, and Forrest and I had a good conversation with Jim. And he was, I remember him telling me all, all about his time he spent in Egypt exploring the Great Pyramids and all that. And uh, so Lauren and I actually went back to that bar. It's not, it's not the same establishment anymore now. It's now a very risque bar. They have women in bikinis dancing around in there. It was uh, quite a surprise. But uh, anyway, um, but the thing that I value the most is that on that trip, I met Dean Worsing. Now, Dean Worsing has has become one of my best friends in the whole world. And um, he at that time was exploring night vision technology, looking up there uh, into the stars and um, that that's when we also were, uh, that's when I met the notorious Ed Grimsley, who is also no longer with us. Uh, and, you know, I don't know, for those of you who, who, um, who met Ed Grimsley, you probably have an Ed Grimsley story. But for those that did not, let me just tell you, he was rough around the edges. And he had a real talent for saying... Uh, rude inappropriate things he just didn't have a lot of social uh, skill in, in my opinion so he you know he was not the easiest person to to be around without being embarrassed sometimes but that said um he did have a lot of people who were interested in his approach to looking up at the stars using third generation night vision and that was one of the things that captured uh, Dean Worsing's attention so Dean bought several pairs of goggles and so sure enough it was on that night of February 23rd 2009 I went out to the desert with Dean Worsing and his son Dean Worsing Jr. and a friend of ours named Will Beckwith it was the four of us out there and that was when we looked up and uh, I was the first one to spot this gigantic v-shaped craft that silently passed over us over the course of, I don't know, a minute and a half, something like that, from the southeast to the northwest. And it was, oh boy, what, you know, just what a thing to to see that as my, and that was my first time 
going out and looking up at the sky. And by the way, it was a beautiful, dark... I, I went back and looked. It was practically a new moon that night. And so the stars were so shiny, and yet when you look through the third gen, for every star you can see with your naked eye, you see about 20 or 30 stars through the night vision. So, I mean, the whole sky looks like this solid diamond-encrusted, just breathtaking display. And so against that backdrop to see this thing fly over silently, I mean, it was it was so astounding that we we didn't sleep the rest of the night. We all, We just set up talking about this over and over and over. We didn't have cameras hooked to our night vision at that time, so there's no record of this other than our our consensus of what we all saw. The next day, I called the the air, the military base there, uh, yeah, the Air Force base, the uh, airport, the Wildlife Commission, and like nobody had any explanation for what this could have been. So, we figured we are definitely going to go back out there. So, on our first night of our trip, guess what? Lauren and I, right there at like 8.55 p.m., we drove back to the exact same spot. Just the two of us. I had a camera hooked up to my night vision goggles, got out of the car, and let me tell you, everything looked beautiful, but here's the problem. For right off the bat, the moon was almost exactly full this time. I believe last time... Okay, well, okay, so like well, I told you, I looked it up. Last time, I, it was, I think it was like maybe a day or two around the new moon. So it was basically, it was dark. This time, I, I believe the day after we were there was going to be the full moon. So it was the exact opposite lighting conditions. So wonderful when you're looking at the landscape. You could still see the stars, but not, you know, with the same majesty. But I told Lauren, it's kind of disappointing that the lighting is so bright right now because it's drowning out a lot of the details on this sensitive night vision. However, if this same craft were to appear again, I don't think it would matter at all. This thing was so big and so distinct, so defined, that I had no doubt that it would still show up uh, regardless of the lighting conditions. So it was cold out there, and I stood out there for the whole hour from 9 to 10 p.m., same window of time, switching my goggles from arm to arm until uh, the next day my arms were sore, you know. I got some pretty good biceps going on here from just switching my night vision, you know, setup, my rig from right to left, left to right. But I did not see anything anomalous. But boy, I gave it the old college try. And I'm glad I did because it was it was clear that night. And then the next night it uh, was cloudier, you know. So it would have been even harder. So I didn't see any UFOs out there. But... I still think I might want to go back out there again when uh, it is a new moon and try. Now, granted, in 10 years, I mean, like, that could have been a once-in-a-lifetime, you know, rare thing for that to fly over that night. Or, you know, I was hoping maybe this is part of a routine, and maybe the routine hasn't changed that much in 10 years. Um, 
maybe it's just the logical route that these things would take and maybe the technology hasn't varied so much yeah but you know but there was nothing there so the rest of our time in Laughlin we spent enjoying ourselves immensely and I must tell you that in Laughlin you usually do not expect to win a lot of money and that is because that uh, it is you know a, a smaller operation they still have a lot of overhead they're not you know going to be able to compete in some grand way with what Vegas is doing 90 minutes up the road uh, of course that shouldn't matter much when you're playing table games the rules should always be you know, to some extent the same but nonetheless what I will tell you is that I was quite surprised and impressed that Lauren and I won much 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 more money than I ever thought we would win and I can tell I was talking to other people and other people were not winning and I feel confident that I was winning so well there because I used this as an opportunity to experiment with a new type of money sigil you know I have a money sigil that I created before well I've created another version of a money sigil but this is the first one using Parasymatics 2.0 and I, I carried this with me and I, I, I don't want to get into all the details yet because I'm going to do another podcast about this but I really believe this new money sigil is one that you will want to experiment with given the success that I had using it in Laughlin so I'm going to be revealing this new money sigil and putting it on my website for free uh, as I do with all sigils and I will I think I'm going to uh, have this all ready to go next week so stay tuned for that and at that time I'll tell you more about the story behind this sigil yes it has a tone as well as all parasymatic 2.0 sigils do and um and I really think that you will find this of, of enormous interest and you will be able to take this out and experiment with it and God knows what will happen. So get ready for that. And uh, in fact, it reminds me, here I am talking about night vision and uh, money sigils and all this. And I got an email, just came in, uh, well, I got an email from a guy named Ryan in North Carolina who uh says that he is interested in purchasing some paratemporal night vision goggles from us because we are the only people in the world who specialize in creating night vision goggles that are perfectly tuned and tested for paranormal investigation but anyway so we're talking to him about you know um, paratemporal night vision goggles and he says and i've got his email in front of me he says um, by the way, the wand works great. Uh, he, he, I'll just pause to say, uh, he bought the Finding Your Magic kit from me that includes an Oregon Pyramid wand. And so he, anyway, he says, the wand works great. I just got two bonuses at work and one was unexpected. So that's pretty cool. Um, and so you can see I just you know I told you every day I get interesting emails like this from people who are telling me about having success because they get these things they follow the instructions and you know if you ever get one of these and you have questions or you're having 
any kind of issue, you can always email me through joshuapwarren.com. Uh, just scroll to the bottom of the homepage there to find my email address. And my staff and I will do our best to help you. Everything comes with customer support. Also, that brings me to the Miraculous Prayer Board. It is now officially sold out. The entire first batch is gone. Uh, not a big surprise there. But I have gotten so many emails from people asking me if I would make a second batch that I have decided I will make a second batch. And so um, I don't have any of that batch made yet, but I just got all my supplies uh, in. Uh, Well, I'm still missing one component, but uh, I'm going to make one more batch of these. So if you go right now, to joshuapwarren.com and you click the big yellow link at the top there that takes you to the Miraculous Prayer Board. It will say in stock, but it has a caveat there in red lettering that says the first batch is sold out. Joshua is working on the second batch right now. So what that means is if you go there, just because it says in stock, that doesn't mean you still are not going to have to wait a little while while I get the second batch made and we get everything you know ready to ship out and we'll ship them in the order in which they were received but um, if you have one of these already and you want the second one or you want to buy one for a friend a family member a loved one um, I am going to make one more batch but I cannot promise you that I will make more than that Um, I enjoy making these Lauren does a wonderful job. We work together on handcrafting each one of these. But um, it does take time. It is painstaking. And so I I want to give you, you know, another reminder that there is a second batch coming. But if you have made your purchase anytime today or over the coming days, uh, just keep in mind you're now going to have to wait a little longer on it because I am making them (laughs) because that first batch is gone. I could have just said out of stock and said, okay, that's the end of it. But um, I really want everybody who who wants one of these, who wants to experiment with one of these, to have one of these. And you know what? I haven't even talked about the Miraculous Prayer Board on any of these radio programs, not one single radio show. And, you know, I do radio program interviews all the time. I have only talked about this on this podcast, Joshua P. Warren Daily, and then I sent out an e-newsletter, and then, of course, I posted it in my uh, social media. That's it. I've not gone on one show to talk about this. So can you imagine if I get called up to go on Coast to Coast AM tomorrow night or tonight? It could have, you know, whatever. They call me all the time and say, can you come on and do an hour? That whole second batch is going to be gone like that. And it's amazing how some of the things that I bring up on this podcast become viral. It's like this door that opened via this ghostly force at this place called Off the Wagon, the dueling piano bar in Asheville. The owner emailed this information to me. I turned around and talked about it on this podcast 
and wrote an e-newsletter and said, go look at this. All of a sudden, this gets picked up by a news source. Then I get contacted by um, Howard Hughes, who is a big uh, radio broadcaster in England. And uh, then Lex, uh, the webmaster at Coast to Coast AM, he takes this story and puts it on the Coast to Coast AM news feed. And so, I mean, this thing is going viral. Uh, so, I, as a matter of fact, I am going to be on Howard Hughes' show in uh, England on Sunday. So, it's going to be uh, Sunday night in England, but it'll be Sunday morning here on the west coast of the U.S. Uh, so, so, I mean, I, just look at how quickly this happened. I talked about something here. I sent out the newsletter. All of a sudden... It, 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 it makes a news source. It gets uh, on Coast to Coast AM webpage. It's picking up headlines in England. And now listen to this. The, the fellow they often call Tiny, Daniel, at M&B Paranormal, he posted the other day and said that he and his investigation team, along with, I'm sure, people like Christian McLeod and Slim Marina, uh they have gone over there to meet with Ben at Off the Wagon and made an arrangement with him in order to take people in there to do ghost hunts. So if you're an investigator and you want to do a ghost hunt, that's something that may be available to you soon. I never saw that coming. And, you know, for years I offered uh, people the option to pay to go on a ghost hunt of the Asheville Masonic Temple. Well, we can't do that anymore because the situation changed over there and uh, they started using the space for other purposes and projects. So you missed your opportunity to do that. But this is another opportunity, apparently, that's going to be opening up soon to, um, to actually participate in a ghost hunt at off the wagon i don't know how they're going to set this up again i have not i'm not involved with this in any direct way but uh i look forward to seeing what they're going to get because you know mnd paranormal has been getting some phenomenal evidence pretty soon i i do plan to have them on this show to talk about some of the evidence they've gotten um but anyway uh it's amazing how just th- th- that shows you the power of this audience and how many people are are being reached and i love knowing that because you know i pride myself on the fact that this is an independent audience so i'll keep you updated on that another thing i want to point out here is that i've gotten a number of emails from people and thank you for always keeping me informed of what's going on in the world because there's so much it's very very difficult to keep up with it um I've been getting uh, people emailing me links to this popular mechanics news story. Scientists are testing a way to exterminate mosquitoes for good. And I'm reading this to you because you know that I currently am in the process of working on a project to keep people from being bitten by mosquitoes. And uh, I'm working with a huge company on this project, but we're still solidifying contracts and stuff like that 
But anyway, the subheading uh, gene editing is still new science. So a group of researchers built a high security lab to test its effects on mosquitoes. Okay. So anyway, they go off to say, um, if there's one thing that scientists have learned about ecosystems over the past few centuries, it's that they're extremely sensitive to change. And something as drastic as killing off an entire species could have wide-ranging and unpredictable ripple effects. Even beyond that, the method that the scientists are using also has some unknowns. The researchers plan to genetically modify mosquitoes using the new CRISPR gene editing technology, infusing a handful of mosquito larvae with targeted genetic mutations. When these mutations are passed on to female mosquitoes, the ones that actually bite people and spread diseases, the mutation damages their reproductive organs and prevents them from drawing blood. The end result, if the genetic modifications work as intended, is that an entire generation of mosquitoes won't be able to feed or breed, and the genetic mutations will spread throughout the population and quickly cause the entire species to go extinct. Um, this is a group of Italian scientists that are working on this. Again, it's in popular mechanics, so you know this is a legitimate story. And I mentioned to you that I have a friend who contacted me recently and said, don't mess with the food chain. And uh, I agree entirely. Because, you see, there are a lot of creatures out there that eat mosquitoes. Bats, birds, fish frogs, tadpoles, turtles, dragonflies. See, all of them rely upon this plentiful supply of mosquitoes. And then a lot of things eat them. And you know how it goes from there. It, it becomes part of the food chain. And so, yeah, this, this ripple effect is a real thing. And it's also a very unpredictable thing and I don't think that this approach to like trying to eradicate mosquitoes is going to officially fly no pun intended because for one thing if there is a consensus of scientists I believe they're going to say right off the bat that um, we just have no way of knowing if we wipe out an entire species that is so huge and widespread around the world we have no way of knowing how that's going to affect the rest of the world. Now, that doesn't mean some rogue scientist won't go and do it, right? That doesn't mean that that's not possible. It certainly is. Um, somebody who goes, <laughs> I'm going to save the world and is willing to go to prison or you know whatever in order to do this. But, but I think officially... Uh, if there is a scientific consensus to which those in charge must or with access to this technology must adhere no different than how we treat nuclear technology for example nuclear weapons in particular um, I think there will be a consensus to some degree that look um, it's, it's irresponsible for us to do this when we don't know what's going to happen. Now, granted, I would be the first person to pop a cork on a bottle of champagne if I heard that mosquitoes 
were gone from the face of the earth in the blink of an eye. That would make me very selfishly happy because then I would say, ah, I never get to be bitten by one of these little bastards again. But I know, realistically speaking, that that's just my own personal egocentric point of view and that that we're living in a much larger, more intricate system and we really uh, should not consider doing that because we don't know what we're doing. Secondly, though, I think you can make a pretty good argument for the slippery slope here that once we take one species that we don't like and we utilize the power we have to destroy that species well once we've done that and we've opened that Pandora's box it becomes very very easy for us to continue saying well we have precedent for this what the hell let's just knock out uh, this we don't like this fish yeah this fish is uh, is a nuisance uh, you know, and you know, how far does it go? Maybe one day somebody's like, eh, you know, I don't like puppy dogs because uh, you know they're they're crapping all over the place. Eh. I mean, you don't know, you don't know. They bark too much. You don't know how far this is going to go someday if you get down the slippery slope. So the idea of scientists eradicating any species is a tricky situation because the, the goal of scientific progress is supposed to be to improve our lives, right? To make life better and to help us achieve harmony. But then you have to say, well, to what extent do we destroy in order to create that? And it becomes, it becomes very tricky. So I want to reiterate here that, look, the project that I'm working on is designed to prevent mosquitoes from biting humans. Now, that's not to say you could not adapt the same technology to to pets and livestock and all that. But what I'm, well, I guess you know, it's a technology that would prevent mosquitoes from biting isolated, specific individual people and animals. Um. Not to say there aren't a gazillion other feeding sources out there for them all throughout the world, but this would keep a mosquito from biting, you know, you, your family, your dog, your cows, whatever, you know. And so um, that's the idea, is to create something that will protect an individual, not to tamper with the species in, in any any direct way. Now, I'm not saying again that I'm entirely opposed to to looking at that, but we just, I believe, uh, don't know enough to make decisions at that level when it comes to the complexity of Mother Nature. So anyway, I'll keep you updated on that and a lot more. I have a list of many many things that we're going to be chiseling away at, chipping away at, hammering away on over the coming days and weeks, you know that. New experiments, new updates on experiments, and, of course, like I say soon, I will be sharing with you um, some new sigil information I think you'll find fun to experiment with, but let me also repeat, if you want a miraculous prayer board 
the first batch is sold out. I'm working on the second batch. I don't know how many I'll be able to make, so this is a, a notice for you. You better go and order them right now, but be kind of patient uh, in, in terms of me getting it to you. But I promise I'll get it to you as soon as possible. You can find information on all this stuff if you go to Joshua pwarren.com there is no period after the p at joshua pwarren.com you'll also find a link to this podcast called joshua p warren daily always short always free independent uncensored the only way to get it is directly from me or through one of my authorized distributors so if you go to joshua p warren.com and you click the link to this podcast you'll see that you can subscribe through various means out there or just follow me on twitter at joshua p warren at joshua p warren and i will tweet when a new one is available so that's it for today thank you for listening thank you for your interest and support thank you for staying curious and i will talk to you again soon